Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here as we continue on in our series, Forward Together, really just looking at the different spaces and places we all might be at and seeking to understand one another better so we can journey further together. And so we've looked at how we need to listen and journey with seasoned adults. Larry shared on the importance of adults really prioritizing things within their lives. And Martin shared excellently last week, really about the importance of investing uh, in our youth and our young adults. And so today though, I wanna take a look at the importance of kids within our church. Because this is just true, kids matter for all of us. Kids matter for all of us, whether you are a parent, a grandparent or not, kids matter for all of us. And I wanna share with you why they matter deeply and why we need to continue to invest in them and to care for them and to encourage them and to support them. That what kids do really, what kids do is they reveal really the shape of God's kingdom to the church. And sometimes we have this idea that the kids are kind of the church of the future. And I actually just think they're part of the church now. And it's important for us to understand kind of where kids are at and especially how we might care and support and encourage them. So today, we're going to take a look at what Jesus says about kids. We're going to take a look too at what some of our surveys with the kids in our church have revealed. And then we're specifically going to take a look at what can you and I do, whether we are parents or not, to actually care for those kids that are within our sphere of influence. Because this matters for all of us. And so I want to begin with, I want to begin with Jesus and what he says about children in Matthew 19. Now, as you turn towards Matthew 19, Matthew 19 is actually a really tough teaching of Jesus. It's a tough section, actually. We see Jesus really teaching some things that are quite maybe harsh or have a bit of an edge to them, that Jesus is really going to actually upset some of the more very, very religious people in his context because Jesus has a tendency of doing that. So here's kind of what's going on in Matthew 19. That first what we see is Jesus teaching about divorce and remarriage actually. And here what Jesus does actually is he takes power away from men and he gives it to women. That he really kind of rewrites how things work in that culture and in that context. And what he does is moves power away from men to women, so much so that the disciples turn to Jesus and they say like, who wants to get married now? Jesus essentially tells them, grow up. That's essentially what he tells them, okay? Then Jesus has a teaching on children that we'll take a look at today. And then Jesus has a teaching on actually a rich man. And here he teaches on how a rich man needs to sell everything to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And this again is a harsh teaching. It is a difficult one, especially for those of us in the West who by many standards are quite rich in so many ways. That what Jesus wants to teach us is the importance of giving so that we can follow. So here we have th uh, really three difficult teachings. I want to suggest to you that Jesus' teaching on children is also a little bit difficult, has a little bit of an edge to it, just like those other two things that he is teaching. So with that, I want to read it for us today, and then I want to dive into what it is saying and how we might understand it here for each and every one of us. So we read this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Then he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. And I think, I think because of our social location here today, that many of us hear this story as kind of like a nice story, as kind of like a quaint story, as kind of, I don't know, a sentimental story that Jesus cares for children, and absolutely he does. But just like Jesus is teaching on divorce, and just like Jesus is teaching on wealth, the things that come before and after it, this teaching also has a bit of an edge to it. So I wanna to start to understand it and unpack it in its day and age. Because here's just my 
kind of perspective on things. That however Jesus sees and treats children is how all of us should see and treat children. And so the first thing that we realize, the first thing that we realize is that in Jesus's day and age is that children weren't valued all that much. They simply weren't, right? We see this specifically in the reaction of the disciples, that there are some parents who want to bring their children to be blessed by Jesus, maybe to connect with him. And the disciples' response, as the text says, is to scold the parents for bothering Jesus. Now, here I don't think the disciples are just being like jerks. I don't think they're just being like grumpy curmudgeons or whatever. I actually think what they are doing is revealing, is revealing actually the context of the day. That in that day and age, children weren't seen as valuable as adults. That what has happened actually for many of us, because of our Western world and because of Victorian modern kind of uh, teaching as well, we've come to see children as these wonderful like treasures and innocent and all of that. But that isn't quite how they were seen back in the ancient day. In the ancient day, in a world that was very fragile, in a world where there is not a lot of resources for people, like food and that sort of thing, in a world where health was really, really difficult, in that world, children weren't as valued as adults. They simply weren't. They sure did have value, but especially value for what they might do in the future, right? When they could help with the harvest, when they could help with the family trade, or whatever it might be that really children were not seen as this amazing treasures all the time. Instead, they were kind of lower on the social ranking of things. And we see this in this passage directly because the disciples' response is to scold the parents, essentially saying to them, right? Like Jesus shouldn't be bothered with kids. He has more important things to do. Kids don't matter all that much. That's kind of what's going on. That's the context. That's the culture. But Jesus goes against that, actually, and he says really clearly that the children matter to him, that kids matter to him, that they have value to him. Listen specifically to what Jesus says. He says, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. And what we miss in the Greek, actually, is that word let is a fairly strong word. It's both a rebuke and an invitation, actually. It's a rebuke to the disciples that they've got this wrong, that their viewpoint on children is a little bit off. And it's also an invitation, an invitation for them to change how they see things. The word let in Greek here, as I said, it is a very strong word. And its root of the word, actually, is the same kind of root for the word of forgiveness. So Jesus is here is both rebuking them and inviting them to forgiveness, to see children in a different way way. That's what's going on here. He says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Now, as I said previously, we have sentimentalized this passage. And because in our culture, we see children as really innocent and as sources of innocence, that so many of us, when we read this passage, that what we hear in our modern Western kind of world is this. We hear Jesus teaching us that we need to be innocent like kids if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. But that isn't what Jesus is teaching here. Because in his day and age, kids weren't seen as innocent, actually. That's a modern kind of new way of seeing children. That in his day and age, children were seen as essentially just as distorted and sinful as adults, really that actually in some ways kids were seen as even more distorted than adults because they needed to be taught things, kind of their wayward kind of tendencies needed to be curbed or whatever. So we have sentimentalized this passage and made it being about our innocence to enter the kingdom of God when it's actually something different. That instead what Jesus is teaching here that is actually a bit bigger and even more important than that, what he's inviting us to is to be vulnerable and to give up on self-sufficiency if we are going to enter the kingdom of God. 
That's what he's teaching here, that we need to be vulnerable and to give up some of our self-sufficiency like children if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. That this is just true for all kids of kind of all spaces and places, that children live life based on trust, right? Children live life based on trust. Trust in their parents to provide, trust in their parents or family or community to give direction and to form them, that children live based on trust. And that kids stop being kids, essentially, when they become independent, when they become self-sufficient, when they become reliant not only on everyone else, but actually on some of their own inner strength and skills. That's when kids cease to be kids. So what Jesus here is really teaching us and raising up for us as a lesson is really that we cannot enter the kingdom of God while grasping for control, power, and self-sufficiency. I want to say that again. This is the hard edge of what Jesus is teaching. That we cannot enter the kingdom of God while grasping for control, power, and self-sufficiency. That we need to be like children. That we need to be like kids, trusting, open, and even in need. That's what we need to do. That part of the gift of children is that they remind us of the absolute importance of depending on one another. Of the power of relationships and connections. And that's what Jesus is raising here. That really what Matthew 19 is all about is Jesus attacking power and control. He attacks power and control in marriage. He attacks power and control in entering the kingdom. And he attacks power and control really in wealth and finances. And what he is teaching us here today is that we cannot enter the kingdom of God holding on to our own power, control, grasping, and self-sufficiency. That we need to be like children, entering into his kingdom with vulnerability, with openness, and a willingness to receive. Essentially what Jesus is teaching is that as long as you think that you're in charge, as long as you deny any need whatsoever, as long as you're unwilling to receive, you can't actually enter his kingdom. And that what children teach us beautifully is the wonder of vulnerability, of receiving, and openness. And this is why. This is why then we need not only kids in our church, but we actually need to follow the example of kids, really, because they reveal the shape of God's kingdom. So this is what Jesus is really teaching when he says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. So what I want us really to realize and to notice here today is that kids matter and they reveal the shape of God's kingdom and that we are called to care for them as Jesus cares for them. That's what I hope we get out of this passage here today, that kids matter They reveal the shape of God's kingdom and that we are called to care for them as Jesus cares for them. And here at Bethany, we are actually really blessed with so many kids, so many actually families, a part of our church that we're called to support and to encourage that we have over 250 families here, families with young kids. And this is a beautiful, important part of our church. And I'm so grateful that we have kids to actually reveal the kingdom to us that we are called to care for and to support. So over the past few weeks, as we were sharing with you, we did a big survey to kind of reveal where our church is at. And we asked kids a number of questions about their own spiritual lives. Here are some of the answers that we received as we surveyed the kids in our community. We found that the majority spent time praying before, me- uh, before meal, before bed together, or during sickness and when they're in stress. We also asked our kids, what are some of the things that they pray for? Here are some of the things that our kids are kind of revealing that they are praying for. They pray for health for family. They are praying for world issues. They're praying that they might sleep well. They're praying for forgiveness for dinner. They're praying for happy car rides. They're praying that God would keep them safe to help them when they're worried. And of course, because they're kids, there are lots of answers about how they pray for candy, chocolate, and food, okay? Because they're kids, and that's a good, beautiful thing. We also ask them, how do you know that God loves you? 
Here's some of the answers that they gave to us. That they know that God loves them because he listens. Because he created them. Because he cares for them. Because he forgives them. Because the Bible tells them that. Because God sent Jesus to them. And because God answered prayers. And one of the reasons I came back, actually, about why kids believe in God is because their parents believe in God. Because parents are actually key in actually investing in their kids and forming them. And some of the favorite things about our church that the kids named are this. They love singing. They love playing. They love going with their family to church. This is a good thing. They love playing on the playground, which is an amazing thing that our church has for kids and for families and for connection. They love crafts, teaching videos, candy, snacks, Bible things being acting out, praying, seeing friends. And one child said that they really liked hearing their dad preach, which of course must have been one of my kids who answered it that way, right? So today, today, what I hope we get out of Matthew 19, and really just this season about understanding the importance of kids is just this, that kids matter, they reveal the shape of God's kingdom, and we're called to care for them as Jesus cares for them. That's my main point today. That kids matter, they reveal the shape of God's kingdom, and we are called to care for them as Jesus cares for them. But then what does this mean for us practically? Well, today I want to talk really with two different groups. I want to talk to those of you who might be parents with young kids, and I want to talk to everyone else as well, because we are both called to actually care for kids, whether you're a parent or not. This is actually what we are all called to do. Jesus says, you know, actually to be like him in this and to not stop the kids from coming towards him, and that we're called to actually accept and encourage and support kids like he does. So today I want to talk practically to both groups, that if you're a parent of young kids, and then also if you're kind of everyone else, how we might do this here together. And so first, I want to talk to parents. I want to invite you really to do three things, to invest in your kids, to care for your kids, to support your kids, and to ensure that faith is formed in your kids. I'm going to share with you three ideas or three things that I've learned from the Bible and that we personally practice in our family. So I'm going to be personal and share with you some of the things that we are doing in our family. I initially hesitated with actually sharing with you some really personal kind of things about how, you know, me and Krista, how we parent and how we seek to kind of lead our family into faith. I initially was hesitant with this, and I told Krista this, because I, I said to her, I'm like, well, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I think that I'm a perfect parent or anything like that. Krista immediately burst out laughing, and she said, Andrew, nobody thinks you're perfect at anything. And I said, hey, now we're kind of talking about a lot more than just parenting, but either way, since nobody's under the illusion of my perfection, I want to share with you some things that we have learned that are important about actually shaping our kids that we found really helpful from the Bible that we might be able to support our kids. So there are three things. And the first thing I want to invite you to do if you're a parent, I want to invite you to consider and to even create some family values that guide you. I want to invite you to consider and create some family values that guide you. That for us and our family, we have three kind of family rules or that we sometimes call like family values that guide us. They're really simple. If you ask any of our kids, they will know them because we recite them at least once a week together. They are really simple. They are that kindness matters, that we work hard to love one another, and that God and Jesus and mom and dad will always love us no matter what. Those are our three family rules. That kindness matters, that we work hard to love one another, and God and mom and dad always love us no matter what. These are things that guide us and center us. And this is obviously something that's important even in the Bible. In the Bible, there are actual commandments or rules or values that guide the people of God. Think about the Ten Commandments, or think about Jesus and the Great Commandments, or listen to this verse here in Deuteronomy that talks about the importance of following some kind of family rules or some family values. We read this, that these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, our God, the Lord alone. 
And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving to you today. Repeat them again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That what would happen in an ancient Jewish context is they would recite their kind of family rules that would guide them, right? I want to invite you to do the same thing. That for us, this is incredibly important to have these three kind of values that allow us to shape how we live as a family. So for us practically then, when kids are fighting, what we would do is we'd say, hey guys, remember, kindness matters. When one of them has done something to the other one that they don't want to let go, I remind them, hey guys, we work hard to love one another, so we're going to forgive. Or when they've done something wrong and sometimes they feel a lot of guilt or shame or whatever else, I remind them, hey, remember, God and mom and dad will always love you no matter what. And then, of course, sometimes, too, they remind me of our family values, that when I'm getting frustrated and angry or whatever else, they have a tendency to say, hey, dad, remember, kindness matters. Right? These are important things that guide our family. And I want to encourage you, if you're a parent, if you're a parent, would you consider to create some family rules, some family values that would guide you? You can steal ours. You can find some in the Bible, whatever it might be. I want to invite you to do that. The second thing I want to invite you to do is also to pay attention and to create rhythms of faith formation. I want to invite you to create rhythms of faith formation. Things you do, like weekly, monthly, whatever it might be, that ensure to instill faith in your kids. For us, practically, what we do is we actually do Sabbath together. So what that means for us is we take Sabbath on Friday. And on Friday, we use, an actually, again, an ancient Jewish custom, and we welcome the Sabbath in. So practically, what this looks like for our family is we light a candle, we actually all gather around a table, we hold hands, and I pray a prayer of blessing over each of our kids and what I've seen them grow in every single week. At this time together, we also recite kind of our family rules, and it's a time for us really to just get recentered at the end of the week. Actually, this past week, one of our kids had a friend over, so we invited them to join into this. And at the end, they said, do you do this every week? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, so it's like a family ritual. This is really cool. And it is really cool. And for us, it's been incredibly helpful in actually grounding ourselves in God and with one another. It is beautiful. It is great. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes it is also an utter disaster, right? If you have kids, you understand this. There are times, there are times when we're talking about our family rules, about working hard to love one another, that the kids are like squeezing their hands as hard as possible, right? There are times when I'll be praying for a kid and the kid will just get up and kind of wander off. There are times where they will be fighting as we're talking about kindness mattering or whatever it might be. But for us, what we have found is now that we've been practicing this for years, is that the value of continually coming back week after week is really, really important. Because it's been around that table where we light that candle that Eden actually decided that she wanted to follow Jesus. I remember her saying that to me. She said, I want to follow Jesus. Can we pray about that? So I went to go lead her in a prayer to accept Jesus. And Hudson, our oldest, cut me off. And he said, no, Dad, I can do this. I know how to, uh, I know how to share with her about Jesus. And he led her in a prayer to accept Jesus. That happened around the table. For us, too, it also happened around the table where one week I didn't want to do it. Sometimes that's more than one week where that happens. But I remember specifically one week I just didn't feel like I had the energy. I was feeling really kind of low, and I was just feeling like I wasn't being a good you know, parent. You might have had some of those feelings. And now normally I pray for each kid, and that's usually just kind of all that happens. But on this specific instance, as I was praying for them all, Asher spoke up, and then he prayed for me. And I received something that day that was beautiful. What I want to encourage you with is what rhythms can you instill in your family to ensure that faith gets passed on? What rhythms can you do? It can be something like this that we do weekly to actually welcome in the Sabbath. 
It can be praying before bedtimes or praying before meals. It can be coming to church every week, but I want to invite you to really think through what can you do as a parent to ensure that you pass faith on in a weekly kind of way, to have a rhythm of faith formation. And then the last thing, if you're a parent, I want to encourage you with, and I'm going to speak to all of us who aren't parents. The last thing I want to encourage you with is, if you're a parent, to pay attention for transitions. To pay attention for transitions. To pay attention for those moments where kids shift from this to that. Whether that might be like kindergarten, graduation, or birthdays, or whatever it may be. To pay attention for transitions, and to plan for them, and to prepare for them. This is, again, something that the ancient Jewish culture did very, very well. Right? We see Jesus actually being brought to the temple for moments of transition. We actually see Jesus being baptized as a transition moment between kind of his regular life and then his ministry life. We also see this in Jewish tradition, where at 13, there would be a bar mitzvah, and you would become kind of an adult, right? That what I think we need to regain in our culture is the importance of paying attention for transitions, praying for them, planning for them, preparing for them, and living them out. So practically, here's what this looks like in our life, okay, practically. This year, Hudson is turning 13 in January. And we've been talking about this as a family for quite a while, that when they turn 13, this is a big year where we're actually encouraging them to step up into who they are called to be. So for this year, when Hudson turns 13, there's a number of things we have planned to ensure that this year is really a big transition year for him. So what I'm going to do is take him out a number of different times to different places and to really talk to him about what it means to follow Jesus, about what it means to be a man in our world, in our culture, and what it means really to live rightly in this world. But I know I can't do it on my own. So we've also asked five guys who are very important in his life to also take him out and to teach him one thing that they think is incredibly important about following Jesus. Because I know I can't be the only voice that's speaking into his life. So we have that planned. Another thing we're going to be inviting him to do this year is actually be planning a trip for him and me to go on together. A trip where we can actually go away and talk about some of these things. So he's going to be required to kind of to plan it, to do a budget for it. And then wherever we go, he's talked about like Toronto, Winnipeg, or Athens, I'm not leaning towards Winnipeg, it's very cold, right? But whatever it may be, right? He has to plan it out. And then when we get there, we're going to invite him actually to lead, to figure out like transit and all this kind of stuff, because we want to place him in a space where there is some adversity, some challenge, so that he can grow more confident in himself. For us, this is how we're planning for, you know, age 13. And we'll do this with all of our kids. I want to invite you to think through how can you plan for some of the transitions that are before you? And it doesn't have to be always large. If you think about what we're planning, it's actually not that big. It's me going away with him, you know, for a little bit, and then inviting some people to actually invest in him. That's not too hard for us to do. So I want to invite you to think through, how can you plan for those transitions? So if you're a parent today, I want to invite you to do three things, really. I want to invite you to create family rules or values if you don't have them, to actually create some rhythms of enforcing and really instilling faith formation in your kids. And then I want to invite you thirdly, I want to invite you thirdly to think through transitions. But then if you aren't if you aren't uh, a parent or kind of in this stage of, of life, what does this mean for you today? Well, as I said, I do think that kids matter for us all. Jesus is really clear that he values them and he invites them in. So I want to invite you, if you aren't a parent, um, you know, of young kids, what does this mean for you? I want to invite you to do three things. Okay? I want to invite you to give. I want to invite you to encourage. I want to invite you to pray. The first thing I want to invite you to do is to actually give financially here at Bethany. I know you might not be kind of expecting that. But I think it really matters because here's just the truth about our church. Our church loves kids. Our church invests in kids. Our church is making a huge impact in kids. And if you think that kids matter, then you should give here financially because it is supporting the life change of children all around our community. 
I wanna share with you some of the things that you would actually be supporting if you give here. Okay, one of the things is our celebration place. This is an amazing space where kids are learning really about communicating about vulnerability and are especially finding support, right, for mental health, for some of the things that they are going through. This is an amazing program that happens that is free on Thursday nights. It's one of the only places, it's one of the only places really in our region that if your kid is struggling with some mental health and challenges and that sort of thing, that you can actually show up like without an appointment weekly in a free way to actually receive that. It is a beautiful thing that we are doing for our kids. I'm so excited for it. And when you give, you support that. When you give, you also support all the different day camps that we run, all the different even basketball programs that are going on that we run right here, right now. Right? Did you know last year? Last year we had over 800 kids through our summer day camp program. 800. We were also able to give away $19,000 in scholarships so that people who are in need could actually come and attend and be a part of this. It's a beautiful thing that our church does. And then along with that is obviously like our dozens of family nights that we have where dozens and dozens of families come together. Right? We can think of our kids' zone things that are happening even right now as you are hearing this, where there are people pouring into kids' lives. That what I know practically from my own family is that this church has made an impact on my kids. And when you give here, you support that. That what I know is that Asher accepted Jesus actually in kids' zone with a teacher. That Eden has made lifelong friends here and friends after friends after friends. And that Hudson, Hudson learned how to lead somebody to Christ that he then practiced with his sister here at this church. That this church loves and cares for kids. And when you give here, when you give here, it supports that. This past week, Asher had a birthday. And do you know what he received? He received a postcard from his kids' own leader, actually saying happy birthday that he has in his room on his mirror. Right? These are the things that our church does. So I want to invite you to give. Secondly, I want to invite you to encourage. I want to invite you to encourage kids. When you see kids, encourage them, support them, encourage parents, all of that. It really, really matters. That to be a kid in this day and age, I think it's tough. So I think that they need to feel seen and understood and encouraged. And I want to be specific with this. I want to encourage you to encourage kids, not just when they're being adults, but when they're being kids. I mean, sometimes we love to encourage kids when they kind of act like adults. I think you should encourage kids to just be kids. So for me, what this means practically is when kids are running through our foyer at a breakneck pace, do you want to know what I ask them? I always ask them, can you go any faster? Because I think it's good for kids to be kids. Not every parent loves this question, but I think it's important for us to value kids as they are. Right? That's what Jesus teaches us. He doesn't value just kids, you know, who can do things. He values kids as they are. Right? He says, let them come and suffer them not. So I want to invite you to actually encourage kids. And lastly, I want to invite you to pray for kids. That if there are kids that you know, you know, nieces, nephews, grandparents, you know, community people around you, whatever it might be, friends, kids, I want to invite you to specifically to pray for them, to pray that they might grow in Jesus, to pray that they might have healthy friendships, to pray for them by name. And then what I also want to encourage you to do is to take some action with that. Here are some ways that those prayers can actually look like. What you could do is you could send a child that you know, like $5 to go to Avondale and get something as kind of a surprise or a treat. What you could do is drop off a meal for a family if they're kind of having just a little bit of a rough time, right? It's been a, a strange season for a long period. So you could do that as a way to actually pray for them. What you could also do is to drop off like a book or something that reminds that child that you are thinking of them. These are all things actually that this church has actually done for me and our family in the past year through some of the challenges of Krista having to move away for schooling. Right? These are prayers that our kids have seen. They felt so encouraged and so loved by this church because of these sort of actions. I wanna invite you to pray. I wanna invite you to encourage. I wanna invite you to give. So specifically today, what's my challenge? If you're a parent, would you think of some family values that would guide you? Would you actually pay attention to some faith formation rhythms? And would you also prepare for transitions? 
And then if you are, aren't a parent or with young kids at this stage, I want to invite you really to do three things, to give, to encourage, and to pray. Because kids are not just the future of the church. They actually reveal the shape of God's kingdom to the church. So I want to invite you to make sure that you actually are prioritizing and investing and caring for kids because kids matter. And that's a part of what Jesus has taught us. And that's a part of journeying together and to moving forward together. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I ask, I ask, might you continue to actually move within our lives? I pray might we continue to live like you, caring and supporting and investing in the kids that are within our sphere of influence that we know that we can care for. And God, I pray this week, might we continue, Lord, to really see the beauty that is within our church here with all the activities, all the kids that are a part of it. And might we continue to support and encourage parents and families and children as we seek to follow you together. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.